and welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man whose loyalty is matched by only that of Jerry Jones. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Doing all right, Kieran. Uh, Lions fans get the last laugh after all. Not only do you guys get to advance in the playoffs, we got we to stick with Mike McCarthy another year. Come on. Come on. Yeah, well... I actually kind of predicted that. Jerry's kind of, uh, he doesn't really like to make moves. He's not a Maverick anymore. That's my, not even, you know. someone wrote a column about that. Like, does Jerry still have the killer instinct? And look, guy can be over the top at times, but I, I don't know if he does anymore. Come on. No, he just wants to, he just wants to be relevant. He wants to still I'm, be I'm, on the I'm national with the names. rabid fans on Twitter when it comes to the Cowboys. I don't want a new quarterback, <laughs> but I'm, okay. I'm down for a head coaching change. Well, selfishly, I was really hoping. Not that I root for somebody to lose their job, but fire McCarthy, hire Bill Belichick, and then my in-laws, including my wife, all these Patriot fans, would have to root for the Cowboys because their boy Bill's trying to get after the record. Uh, that was my chaos theory that Jerry robbed of uh, from me. So uh, not not a great reaction on Cowboys Twitter, I can tell you that much, and also uh, the local radio and podcast game as well. All right, so a little bit of a change here, Cody. We're recording this. It's about 7 o'clock Eastern time on Thursday. This is obviously published Friday morning, Friday, if you guys are listening to it. And the reason for that is a couple things. Uh, One, you're about to go on a little vacation. That includes uh, you and I linking up up in uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma. Looking forward to that next weekend. Uh, Number two, it's, it's kind of a bizarro, busy weekend for me in general, too. So, So I figured, why don't we just... We got the info. We got the information we need. I'm saying all this, and then some major trade is going to go down on Saturday. We got, but we got all the information that we need, and let's just kind of go through the topics, and we'll put out a, a podcast on Friday instead of Monday. You know, let's you know see what happens. We can do that this time of year as the season uh, approaches. So, the big thing, the big latest news, is the Tigers announced what was it, 17 international uh, signings, and. I'm going to say this joke, Cody. I'm sorry that I'm going to say this joke because you were you joked about it last week, but it's also not a joke, but I'm going to, I'm going to say it anyway. This is another one of those stories that you can kind of you can you can kind of cookie cutter it just in general. I'm not saying you do. I'm just saying that you could cookie cutter it because look, the Tigers I I, I haven't read your story, but I I I bet you to read something like this. The Tigers announced these signings they haven't had a great history of international signings recently. Bring up Soto as the last positive war player and position player. Gotta go further back. Quotes from the powers that be about some of the top guys. Athletic traits. Also a good kid. And a little bit about the infrastructure and new regime for uh, the Tigers, which is both old and new with how they're doing the international stuff. How, how close was I? Pretty close, not the exact order, but I think you got you got everything in there. There's uh, you, you didn't miss anything, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but insert look, a Tom Moore quote about how development takes a long time. Yeah, well, okay, so I guess it, is this the I don't want to say the one thing, but is this one of the things that we because of the very nature of it, we haven't really seen any sort of contrast to previous years in terms of approach and success because these things take some time compared to like the Alavila regime. I know 
Uh, Scott Harris has kind of kept that infrastructure in place. Relationships kind of go go the longest way, I would say, when it comes to this stuff and uh, and just general know-how of, of the different cultures and, and, and all that stuff. So it seems to me like this is kind of like a, a usual thing. But in fairness, some of these guys at least do have some promise. I looked at – I did watch some video. Uh, uh, they look like good athletes. They look like good athletes. They look promising. But at the same time, we're not going to know anything about them for – some of them might not even play – in North America, or some not in North America, in the continental United States, until two years from now, like it, it, it's all it all varies. It's a bizarre system. I know we've talked in the past about Major League Baseball kind of wanting a draft thing. I I don't think the Players Association is ever going to go for that because that's sort of like a uh, suppressing of the market. So I, I understand that. Uh, it's just kind of a bizarro system, but it seems to me, Cody, to kind of equate it somewhat. In terms of money for these top guys, you're kind of starting second, third round, and then kind of going from there in terms of how much uh, money these uh, these teenagers, that's what they are, teenagers are getting. So I don't know if the success rate correlates to second or third rounders or anything like that, but you're kind of making that level of investment in some of these top players, and, and it's even more of a crapshoot because they're so young. So... Uh, any general thoughts about like the t- anything you could glean from the Tigers' approach? Some of the some of the guys that they went out went out and signed, and and anything like that. A lot of places we could start there. Let's let's start with the most interesting dude they signed. Their top signing, Nestor Miranda. He's a third baseman. In terms of approach, would you believe, Kieran, that under Scott Harris, the Tigers have signed a prospect who is known for an advanced plate approach. AKA he controls the strike zone. Uh, I've heard that before. Seems like that's what they're getting. Uh big bodied kid. He's uh he's he's a big boy, third baseman, not athletic enough to play shortstop. You hope he can stick at third base. He's such a good kid that his parent he, he's 18. He didn't sign at 16 like a lot of these kids. His parents wanted to see him complete a high school education. So um yeah, nice. you're you're kind of getting like a a, a prep pick in terms of age so in theory that makes him a little more projectable signed for 1.5 million he's ranked number 45 by mlb pipeline so not tip top of the class but not bad either uh, i wonder if maybe that signals a little bit of a change in approach the tigers um as we have discussed in the past uh toward the tail end of the avila regime began going for some bigger fish they said let's stop spreading it out over all these lottery tickets let's go all in on on some bigger guys they did that with roberto campos they did that with christian santana so far not a lot of great results there and that really leads us to the bigger conversation which is why have the tigers not gotten anything out of their international pipeline they have produced one positive war player since i think 20 signs one since 2012 that was gregory soto it's your only guy um and if you you talk to tom moore who is the director of tigers international operations you always hear these same three names willie adamas eugenio suarez avisayo garcia three really good players okay and the tigers did go and scout and sign those guys uh, Thomas was traded when he was still in the low minors. The other guys did develop as Tigers before going on to success elsewhere. Still tradable. Got the Tigers some other assets, blah, blah, blah. That looks really good on your resume. 
But Adamus signed in 2012. We are going on 12 years where this pipeline has produced pretty much nothing. Um, that is a problem. Scott Harris obviously chose to retain Tom Moore, Miguel Garcia, who's the director of Latin American operations. Um, and I don't know exactly what they're doing differently. I asked Tom Moore that there, you get a lot of generalities there. You know, we're improving our process. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> we're more cohesive with other parts of the organization. Collaboration. I feel like we hear that every year. Um, you know, Tom's the type of guy, every time I, I see him, he's, I, I say hi, he says hi. Seems like a really nice guy, but he's got a tough job, I think. You know, has to kind of defend what, by its very nature, is a difficult science. Difficult science. You're going, you're saying 16-year-old kids, bringing them from a foreign country to the U.S. and hoping they can make it. Not everyone becomes Miguel Cabrera. At the same time, a lot of the best players in this sport, Ronald Acuna Jr., Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, even, even the Astros, Ellie De La Cruz, the Astros were known for, we're not going to target those big money guys. We're going to get older dudes who no one cares about, but we think they're a little more projectable. And they got Christian Javier and they got from Valdez and they got um, a boatload of other guys. They got uh, Ozzo Campos, the, the guy who basically spearheaded that um, a, a big time job in another front office. The Tigers were not on the cutting edge of any other approach. This, a little bit smaller bonuses, 17-player class. I wonder if the Tigers are shifting back toward uh, that strategy. Um, second most notable prospect was... Well, in terms of stories, they signed a guy that was like the first uh, first player to... Uh, he was like a, a, chi a Chinese-Venezuelan. And I'm just saying it's interesting. Like a Chinese-Venezuelan, the first guy to sign a like with a major league team or whatever. Yeah. That's That's fun. Um, I was, I was thinking, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like a, it feels light. It feels a little emptying that you had the Michael Jordan of, of Venezuela and Miguel Cabrera, Cabrera for so many years. And then also a wide range of Venezuelan players on your teams, even prior to him that were huge parts of their success. And I'm sure very well regarded in, in, in Venezuela it didn't necessarily net like some sort of pipeline, if you would, uh, like, you know, like everybody, like I just saw, and I'm not going to remember the name, but I just saw the number one international prospect signed with the Padres. And he said that, you know, he could be lying. Let's be honest. But he, but he said like, you know, the Padres were his favorite team. So like, I'd love to, I think it would have made a lot of sense if the Tigers were to get one of the top international prospects over these last 13 years or so. And they say the Tigers are my favorite team because I grew up idolizing Miguel Cabrera or Maglio or Guillen or, you know, any, any of these guys uh, weren't able to capitalize on that. Now, I don't know. It's probably an oversimplification. I understand that. But it would have made sense had it kind of played out that way. And if you want to look for reasons that the Tigers are on a near decade playoff, playoff list streak not being able to tap into this has got to be a huge part of it and in terms of mr moore uh you said it's a hard job i mean i would just analyze analyze it like this i always say to people that complain about college football coaches it's like how would you like your mortgage on the line determined by 18 to 20 as 21 maybe 22 year olds 
doing what you told them to do exactly as you told them to do it while millions of people watch them attempt to do it. Everyone's like, yeah, that would probably suck. I was like, yeah, it kind of sucks. You know, it's kind of hard. In terms of this, though, it's like your job performance is really more dictated on what other people can relate to you information-wise. And this is true for every baseball executive, but I think it's probably harder in the international market. And then the other people in the organization developing these players. And, and, and whether it works or not is kind of on you. And it, it, it's just a, it's a bizarre system. I'm not saying it's a bad system or whatever. It's just kind of bizarre. Uh, I'll say this because I, I tend to look at this because I think it's fascinating. Number one prospect in, for the Tigers right now that is an international signee is Christian Santana, right? So I was like, I'm going to go to eBay. What's, what's the most expensive Christian Santana card? You guys... If you're driving, don't have your foot on any pedal, gas or brakes, because I don't want you to get in a crash. $5,000 for a Christian Santana card. It's a Now, it's a PSA 10. It's numbered out of 25. These are all the things that, that matter. It's signed. It's the Bowman Chrome Orange Wave Refractor Auto from 2021. 5000 and it's not the only one. Now, if you, want it, you don't want to pay 5000 you can pay $4,999 for... Uh, basically the exact same card. So, I'll just say this. If you're spending $5,000 on a Christian Santana card, I can give you a list of charities that are that will that will net better benefits. You could also Venmo me, and, uh, and I'll rent out an office space to do this podcast. Uh, that would probably be a better use of your financial resource. $5,000 for a Christian Santana card. A guy who has yet to, he has yet to pop in I, I... Lakeland. It's crazy. I, I love Christian Santana. Uh, still have some faith in him. He also hit 156 in Class A Lakeland. In 50 years, someone's going to bring this this <laughs> card on the modern equivalent of Pawn Stars, and they're going to get like $2 for it. You know, Someone's going to find it and be like, oh, this must be really valuable, and it's not going to be remotely valuable. That's where we're at on that. I mean, that's – you must be – go to Vegas, man. Like, like you know, do something. Uh, so, yeah, I found that fascinating. I mean, there's there's still some stuff to like with like uh, Roberto Campos and you know like there's still the traits, but the traits are still there. The traits just haven't translated. That's the whole thing. That's that's the whole game, right? Traits translating. And so I hope all, I hope these guys you know fulfill their dream of playing in the major leagues. And I, you know whether it's with the Tigers or not. Uh, but it's just such a crapshoot. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to have a great analysis for it. But I mentioned the playoff drought, and we talked about the lack of positive war players from this. Which one's a bigger indictment of the Tigers over the past, let's just say, 10 years? Like, which I know they're kind of related to each other, but what's yeah. a bigger indictment of the state of the organization that uh, you haven't had a postseason in however long, and you also just have gotten nothing out of the international trade where it seems like every team that pops, I don't want to say every team, but almost every team that pops has one of these guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, again, they are very closely related, but I would almost argue it's the lack of uh, production from your international pipeline. Not only have you had this long playoff drought, you you think, you hope you're close to snapping it, but probably wouldn't be here if, you know, a few years back, the Tigers did have a highly ranked farm system, Tort Green, even before that, Mize, Manning, Scooble. Imagine if you had an international stud or two on top of that. The Avila rebuild might have actually worked if there were someone, anyone from the international crop 
uh, worthy of becoming a serious prospect and, and a serious major league player. Instead, there just wasn't really that guy. I mean, you had Joe Jimenez, you know, who made an all-star game with the Tigers. You look back, he was a negative war with the Tigers. Um, I, I don't think this drought would have extended as long if there was something from the international class. Yeah, for sure. Uh, next kind of bit of news we got, we got a, we got a story, Cody, that I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like I'm no lawyer. Like I don't, I don't have like the ability to kind of like dumb this down, but we, but we do know that it's looking like, and tell me if I'm wrong on this. It's looking like the Tigers are no longer tied to Bally. They will be, or they have the ability to be streamed on Amazon. If I'm saying any of this wrong, please just jump in. But they're on, it looks like we're trending well, toward I, I Amazon. I think they're still tied to Bally. It's just the Bally broadcast will be on Amazon. Okay, well, I guess. And maybe still on Bally. I don't think anyone really has a great grasp on what's going on, but Amazon has entered the fray. Uh, in theory, this could be a good thing for both Valley and um, and Diamond RSN, which is the parent company, and teams in general who have had a lot of uncertainty around their TV revenue. It seems like we're closer to getting some stability here. Uh, I can't tell you if you're going to be watching the Tigers on Amazon Prime or Valley Sports or MLB TV or both or all three next year, uh, but, uh, but at least something's finally happening here. So how do we feel about this? sports streaming only sports events so we have over the past couple of years the tigers have had you know one to two uh games on the apple tv uh friday night baseball uh they had the youtube game remember a couple of years ago and just a couple of weeks ago in the nfl they put taylor swift and the kansas city chiefs on peacock only and it's one of those things that it always gets like a little bit of it's, it's a good internet outrage topic i tend not to get outraged because i think this is just where we're going and then eventually we're all streaming and then eventually we'll be like hey this was dumb and then we'll go back to something that is cable or very similar to cable but this just seems to be the trend so how do we feel you know and we'll lump in the apple we'll lump in uh, a youtube game and all that stuff like how do we feel about the wave of broadcast going this way and whether it's like quote good for the game or not, because well, like it's there, you know, I don't think my father could really figure it out without a lot of help. Uh, and that's, I think a decent, I think baseball probably has that demographic more than some of these other sports. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. First, a bit of factual clarification. This is from Evan Drellick's story on The Athletic. The regional sports networks that carry diamond teams are branded with the Bally name, but a new partner would be sought for 2025 and beyond. So it sounds like this year you might still see Johnny Kane with the Bally Mike flag, but 2025 and beyond, we might have some new name for uh, whatever the deal is with Diamond Sports now in partnership with Amazon. Is this good for the game? I think what's good for the game is getting rid of the ridiculous blackout restrictions. You stole my and thunder as much there. as I didn't love the league in-house, uh, the idea that every the league might control team broadcasts, which was floated before this Amazon deal, it seemed like if that were to happen, there was going to be significant effort to uh, either remove or lessen blackout restrictions. That's really my question in all this, and I've not yet seen anything about it. Does, what does this mean for blackouts? And I don't know if we have the answer to that right now. 
Um, if you have to flip a c couple other channels or if, if uh, you know, you have to answer a call from your grandpa to help him find the game, that's, you know, it's, that's not the most user-friendly thing. But if the game's available, if you're in Oklahoma and you can actually watch the Rangers or the Cardinals or the Royals or all the teams in that vicinity that you can't watch, mm -hmm. even though you're not that close to any of them, uh, then that's good for the sport. Yeah, the blackout thing, I could go on forever about how dumb and its history and this and that. Uh, the short version of it is, if you haven't heard, it's basically because it was a it was a thing invented because people thought that if you could watch it on TV, then you wouldn't go to the game. And we've seen that that's just, for any sport, that's just not the case. People still like going to games. So, uh, anywho, radio, they didn't have the blackouts, but that was even the concern for radio broadcasts when they started. It's like, why would they pay 125 when they just listen to it on the radio? So... Anywho, uh, all right, let's let's go on to a uh, we got a user question from our last week's pod, and I and I thought it was an interesting discussion point, Cody. Uh, this is from Stan Wondolowski. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. He basically said we kind of power ranked the groups uh, of the Tigers, and, and he said we all agree it's this, and then he had kind of a follow up. So we'll just kind of go with the power rankings. His power rankings. Where one starting pitching, two bullpen, three defense, uh, four offense. I have no problem with those rankings. I think I would flip one and two. I think there's there's more certainty in the bullpen. There's there's higher end potential in the starting pitching, but the bullpen has more ability to stay in control and and this is maybe specific to a aj hinch uh managed tigers team than than just bullpens in general but it seems to me that there's more power to control games from the bullpen for this team had as it's constructed with the way scott harris has kind of went about uh, uh constructing this 40 man in the roster at large uh but and, but starting pitching is also very important we we've seen that be an emphasis as well uh, I just feel like, I just feel like AJ. What 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 is he like? He likes flexibility. Flexibility is all you get in the bullpen, and that's how they've constructed. It. So I'll put that number one. Uh, DNO at three and four uh, is interesting because I'm not really sure. How do I phrase this? I'm not really sure any either one of them is like that deserving of being three. If that makes sense. Like, I would almost, like, put them both at four. I know you can't do that. That's not the exercise. But it's it's hard for that. It's hard for me to kind of put my put my foot down when you got a first baseman who's below average defensively. You have no idea what you're doing at third. Uh, and, and, I mean, you have an idea. But in terms of, like, consistency, what you're getting, like, it, you have a huge question at second base. And... If things go right, you're going to be putting a guy at second base who hasn't played second base, right, in Colt Keith. And then Carpenter in right field, you know, Canna's like, I don't, you know, like he's he's in, he's like, what, 34? How old is he? Uh, and then you obviously have Parker Meadows and Riley Green, who are both good defenders. But, you know, you throw Badu in there. Like, it, it's a hard one for me to sell, like, definitively better than the O. Even though the O is obviously like, what what's this gonna come down to, you know? And his and, and so you know, before we kind of get into the question, your thoughts on uh, on those uh, power rankings? Yeah, I'm definitely going bullpen one. You have several promising returning guys. You add Andrew Chafin, you add Shelby Miller, 
Uh, there's plenty of depth there. You know AJ Hinch is going to get favorable matchups. Bullpings can be volatile, but I feel really good about where the Tigers are at there. Starting pitching-wise, there's the potential to have a really good rotation, but it's kind of almost been minimized. The Tigers lost their best starting pitcher or most proven starting pitcher in Eduardo Rodriguez. Uh, I like the signing of Kinta Maeda. I could see him giving somewhat comparable production in terms of war, but there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, you don't have anybody who cleared 150 innings last year, so that's my concern. Can Scooble stay healthy? You probably know about what you're going to get from Maeda. What is Mize? We don't know. Can Manning stay healthy? If so, is he going to harness consistency? What to expect from Jack Flaherty? I don't know. Reese Olsen finished the season great, but he's still very young, very unproven. So there, there are too many question marks there. I still would go that too. I'm going defense three. The Tigers ranked 13th with 22 defensive runs saved last year. So they ranked 28th in runs scored, 13th in defense, basically. So I would tell you their defense is better than their offense. You have some plus defenders in Javier Baez and Parker Meadows and Jake Rogers uh, in Riley Green. Twerk. I think he has to be bad. He was like, he was, he was one of the, he was really, really bad last year metrically. I think it'll be a little better minimum. I do worry you're almost bringing more bad defenders into the fray, potentially with Colt Keith uh, and Justin Henry Malloy, or even Kerry Carpenter. I don't buy this whole, Kerry Carpenter is a good defender now, but he has improved. Um, I, I think your defense is, is solid. Uh, Tigers tend to rank very highly in terms of percentages of fly balls converted to outs and their outfield positioning grades out very well. So I think the Tigers have some things already going for them on defense, whereas when it comes to hitting, it's a lot. It's still a lot of hope and a lot of what if and a lot of wishful thinking. So, OK, so yeah, that 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 ties in perfectly, because the question is how many how many wins and you know, we don't have to say like get a number or whatever, but. Like, how many wins if this offense is mediocre? And I want to give Stan a lot of credit here because mediocre is probably one of the more misused words in our common vernacular because it just really means average, but it's always like an insult, you know? Like, if I said you were a mediocre writer, like, you would say, like, oh, well. Well, I, if you I tell suck. me I'm an average writer, I'm not going to be real happy either. <laughs> yes, you know? but... Most people don't want to be called average, you know? So, some, yeah. Maybe some do. I don't know. Yeah, but, but it's generally speaking not like – it's not a dig of, like, you are terrible, right? So if this offense is mediocre, how much better is this team? I think you're looking at a for sure – for sure? Is that too strong? I don't know. But I'm going to say it right now, January 18th. If this offense is mediocre – you're looking at a legit division title race. Legit division title race with a mediocre offense. That's what I think. Because you're thinking about what that means mm -hmm. overall. I mean, that, that you're going to get improvements almost across the board uh, for, for this team. So, you get a mediocre offense, you might be having to buy the division championship hat. Yeah, if we uh, if we weren't doing this live, I, I would write out like some Pythagorean uh, win-loss <laughs> scenarios. If the Tigers ranked 15th in run scored and replicated if not sl did slightly improve their pitching last year like that could be an 85 to 88 win team i would think which in the al central could win you the division or, or put you right in the thick of the race um off the top of my head that's that's what i would think yeah and again you, it, you just gotta like break that down about what that means i mean it's like parker meadows is firmly established a role which we kind of talked about last week that means that 
Torque is getting on base more. You know what I mean? That means that like Colt Keith had some sort of pretty nice rookie season. You kind of break down what what this means to be a mediocre offense. You're you're all of a sudden you're feeling really good about 2025. Let me tell you. What is what if Javi Bias could be mediocre? Like people will probably still not like him, but like but it, it would be a huge improvement. It'd be a huge improvement. Like that would go. Think about it. If Javi Baez was an average offensive shortstop, how much better this team would be? Just look at it like that. Be huge. Be a game changer. So, so yeah, I want to shout out Stan for the question in the comment. Uh, you can follow Cody on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley. Pod pages at Turn Corner Pod. So, oh wait, you got you got it now. You were able to do the calculation. Got some some quick uh, back of the napkin calculations. Hopefully this is correct using Pythagorean win loss percentage. This was uh, I believe derived by none other than Bill James. Pretty simple. Runs scored squared divided by runs scored squared plus runs allowed squared. That gets you a winning percentage. Actually tends to be uh, pretty accurate. So let's say the Tigers ranked fifteenth in runs scored next season. We'll go based on on what the team that ranked 15th last year, that was the Arizona Dimebacks, their amount of runs scored, which is 746. And we'll assume the Tigers, the Tigers uh, pitching stays exactly the same. 740 runs allowed. All right, run this through the formula. You might not like the result. It gets you a winning percentage of 503. Ah, ah. It's an improvement. So about, about 81, not quite 82 games. That's an improvement. I know that's not going to win the, win you the division. So this tells you something. Pitching's going to have to take a step forward. And the offense is going to need to be probably a little better than middle of the pack. Um, and if it's not, the pitching is going to have to have to really be upper echelon. Uh, kind of a high bar to clear when you look at it that way. It's a hard game. As I say, it is a hard game. Uh, speaking of somebody who was in no way mediocre... So we finally, we, we talked about it last week, and now your story's out about Gary Sheffield. And and you had said that you were, it wasn't going to be a column. It wasn't going to be like a pining for him to get in the Hall of Fame. Uh, it was more of just an examination of the, the contextualizing, tell me if I'm wrong here, kind of contextualizing Gary Sheffield, the, the man, and then kind of sorting out kind of what he went through in his career. And it's fascinating, some some stuff, again, he's 15 years removed from playing, and he played for a long time. Some of this stuff is a relatively long time ago um, that's that's part of the the picture of Gary Sheffield. So now that, now, now that you've put your story together, Cody, and, and you've kind of put, th- put your thoughts into it about, like, uh, and how you wanted to present this guy who I'm just going to assume is not going to be a Hall of Famer here next week. I hope I'm wrong, but I just kind of assume he won't. Uh, given his honesty about a lot of things that people aren't honest on, given even his uh, uh, willingness to kind of talk to you, a stranger, you know, about all this stuff and and, and, it, and what you were able to glean on his approach to life and, and his reflections on his own legacy as a ball player and all that stuff, what kind of summarize what, what you came away from reporting and writing this story. This was a hard one to summarize because I talked to Sheffield for over an hour. It was probably one of the wilder. It was 
simultaneously one of the more enlightening and the most wild interviews I've I've done in my career. I might have said this last week, but it was, it was kind of amazing in that talking to Gary Sheffield is exactly what you think talking to Gary Sheffield will be like. Um, you know, I sent this guy a text, you know, just kind of telling why I wanted to write about him. He responded, I have to get to know you first. It was like kind of a tone setter. Uh, and, and lucky enough, I was able to get him on the phone and started, start talking to him. And next thing you know, chef, chef is kind of going off, man. He's telling a lot of old stories that I wasn't really asking about that I didn't necessarily find relevant, but, uh, going back and listening to his words and talking to a few other people, you, you start to realize there's a lot going on here. Um, there's a proudly defiant guy, a proudly outspoken guy always has been, but it bothers him that he's not in the Hall of Fame. In one breath, he'll say he doesn't, and another, he'll he'll say he'll admit that it bothers him. Uh, I think Sheffield has some complicated emotions. In the words of his former publicist, uh, I think he feels that the reason he's not in the Hall of Fame is deliberate. I don't know exactly how true that is, but I don't think it's an unfounded thought for the guy to have. Because by most numbers, he had a Hall of Fame-worthy career. And, you know, I wrote a whole section about his involvement with steroids. I hope you guys will go read it. Um, I don't know. I've said I don't care that much about steroids. I think it's just interesting that Sheffield will talk and explain more than almost anyone who has been linked. Uh, There's not really any evidence of substance that links him to steroids beyond a a three-week time period where he was training with Jared Barry Bonds and I think January of 2002. Um, so even if this guy was juicing then, he did not do it, uh, it would seem, for a prolonged period of time. Um, and yet, you know, it's it's obviously been held against his Hall of Fame case. It obviously still weighs on his mind. Um, the biggest thing I learned, man, there, Gary Sheffield, although talking to him was exactly like I kind of envisioned it, uh, there are more layers to Sheffield than probably I ever would have imagined. So going through like the steroid history, or I would say his links to the steroid history founded and less than hundred percent founded. However you want to classify that a lot of it or how it shapes our perception. A lot of it's really like circumstantial uh, in terms of the Mitchell report, which you talked about last week. That's, that's still kind of wild. Uh, we probably need to do like, and I'm sure it has been done, but every like so often we probably need to do like a deeper analysis into the Mitchell report. Like again, as more information comes to light, there's also an element of, does it pay to be honest? A lesson from, or question from Sheffield. Uh, We, we have not rewarded honesty with any of the uh, alleged steroid users. Uh, I, I always thought Andy Pettit handled it very well. Andy Pettit has never sniffed anything. You know, he's well-respected. He's in the Yankee family. Like, all these things are still beloved. But when's the last time you had an Andy Pettit debate? You know what I mean? So that's part of it as well. And I, and I wrote down after, like, after reading your story, I wrote down misunderstood question mark. But then I, like, I literally scratched it out because I was like, he's – Yes and no, because it's like he's misunderstood, but he's as honest as anybody's ever been. Like, like all the quotes that are in there are stuff that, like, there's a short list of people of his stature 
that would be like, yeah, I don't care. It's on the record. Like, and it's not a thing that's yeah. even like over the top. It's just like bizarre that no one that was self-conscious of their image would like kind of put that as like an example, like the whole, and you talked about it on the pod last week, like the whole urinating around the corner thing or whatever. Like, like I guarantee you Alex Rodriguez isn't putting that on the record. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so it's, it, it, but it's like, he's a, misunderstood maybe but also like it's uh, yeah so yeah i think that's exactly why he's misunderstood i think a lot of people perceive sheffield as because he's loud because he's honest because he's candid that that makes him a bad person or that makes him a liar i talked to sheffield for a long time he said some wild stuff man uh he, he he came across at times a little angry at times a little reflective looking back on that conversation facilitated or, or world between a, a lot of different emotions all right wasn't the most stable uh conversation i've ever had with someone but i didn't come away with like oh this guy's you know uh this guy's a piece of crap or that how truthful was he about everything look i don't know i know most of what he says add added up and checks out. Um, like, I think if you actually listen to the words beyond just the headlines or whatever you may have seen during his playing career, uh, it, like there's a whole human being here. And that's why I, I think the term misunderstood. I think it gets thrown around with Sheffield and, and a lot of uh, athletes of his ilk, guys who are louder, guys who are more outspoken, um, let's, let's be honest, black athletes. All right. We're, we're not the most qualified to talk about this, but, uh, I think, I, I think that tends to happen more based on, on the color of some people's skin can lead to how they're portrayed in the media and, in public perception, especially in baseball and majority white sport. Yeah. And that's, uh, unfortunately gone on for decades. Uh, if you read about the way, like, Roberto Clemente was covered at the time. Uh, it's it, it'll it'll make you at at least kind of eh, you know clench your teeth a little bit. It's like ugh. you know they they kind of made him look like they made him look dumb because obviously English was his second language and so they would kind of write verbatim like you know sort of the misuse of words or like you know the like dis instead of this you know that kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, unfortunately that that. You can't ignore that component of it. Not qualified to speak to it, uh, so I'll, I acknowledge it without. I'm not going to give analysis on that. But I, I will say this: this is actually kind of related to to what you just said. I think I determined that how you feel about Sheffield, how you feel about his Hall of Fame candidacy, in whatever direction you take it, is kind of a reflection of of you. So if you don't like how he how he was always looking for the next cash grab then you're just gonna have a negative opinion of people who are seeking better opportunities no matter what like i think there's gonna be other examples of that that you'll encounter in your life uh if you don't like his brashness you're probably not that prone to like brash people like in your life you probably don't have that many brash friends you know you're probably like if you just will always hold the steroid, alleged steroid thing against him, then you're just always going to look at any person who was linked in any way to steroids through that lens. So, 
Uh, and then, but if you're pro these things, if you're pro like his attitude, if you're pro like the, the 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 swing and the and the power and like, then you like that in other sports and other athletes as well. You see what I'm saying? So I think I think how you look at Sheffield is a microcosm of how you would look at any other things of the traits, good, bad, indifferent, in other aspects of either your fandom, how you uh, traits you look for in people. And look, even prejudice, you know, like that, you know, certainly, you know, so, so I think, I think that's kind of what I kind of came to as a conclusion is that like, I could tell how you look at certain things in life based on how you would view Gary Sheffield. Cause I, I, like I, I told my, I told my dad, I was like, yeah, you know, Cody talked to Gary Sheffield, blah, blah, blah. And his eyes lit up. He's like, oh, that's so cool. You know what I mean? Uh, certain people would be like, why were you talking to Sheffield? You know, like this guy's irrelevant. He did steroids, blah, 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 blah. So I think I, that's kind of the conclusion I came reading your story and and even looking at like uh, comments about him in, in, in previous articles and, and all that stuff. So that's kind of the conclusion I came to on that. I think I think he is a microcosm for so many things in culture, society, uh, baseball and all aspects of legacy. Uh, I think you said it said it better than I could, probably <laughs> better than I wrote it. But yeah, I hope you guys will check out that story. Um, really tried to do a good job on it um, because I think Sheffield, as I've said like eight times now, complex guy, um, didn't have to share as much as he did. Most likely not going to get in the Hall of Fame now. Um, I think there's going to come a point in time where all these guys get in. And I've said that before, and I, I don't know what pushes that over the edge, but I, I think it eventually happens. I'll wrap it up with this. Cooperstown is a fraud, like as a city being like where the host of uh, the, where the Hall of Fame is. It's a fraud. It's a fraudulent thing. Uh, if you look at steroids as fraudulent, then why would they not go to a fraudulent city? Just saying. Uh, put them all in. We all know what happened. There's no mystery here. Um, most other aspects of the game we've been able to like compartmentalize and, and, and move on from in some way. And there are people in the Hall of Fame who have done worse things than taking steroids. And as long as there's been competitive sports, there's been people bending the rules and even cheating to get ahead. So I mean, the, and the, and they're in the Hall of Fame too, by the way. So that's uh, that's how we'll wrap up that discussion. Uh, all right, Cody. We have ourselves a pitchers and catchers date. It is Valentine's Day, I believe. It was Valentine's Day last year for the Tigers, because uh, I think I remember making a joke. It was like, oh, how'd you uh, give that to uh, to your uh, uh, better half? But Valentine's Day, pitchers and catchers report to Lakeland, Florida. Uh, Listeners, readers know that you have a broader responsibility now with the athletics. So this being the first spring training that that your job title exists in that way. What are we still going to kind of what are we getting from you coverage wise for Tigers and and uh, and your kind of time in spring training there? What can what, what can the listeners and readers expect? Yeah, still hammering out final details, but good news is it sounds like things will be pretty similar to in the past. Uh, I always really enjoy spring training, and and I, I like to think do some of my best work there. So I will be in Lakeland for a similar amount of time, uh, be pretty Tigers-centric, especially the first week or two. 
uh, kind of the, the final few days um, of my first trip down there. Uh, probably hit a, a few different camps, right? You know, work on some national stories or non-Tiger stories. As I've done every year at The Athletic, you know, probably won't be there for the middle couple weeks of camp. It gets expensive. Um, <laughs> and then we'll we'll come back toward the tail end of spring training um, and as far as I know now, that will be, that will be mostly Tigers centric coverage. So, uh, yeah, start, starting to look forward to it for sure. Starting to taste some of the red fish Royale from Harry's and, and some sunshine. And, uh, as we get a little bit closer, especially after, after this trip this weekend, I think, uh, it's almost time to shift into baseball mode. I agree. I agree. And in fact, I feel so, uh, I feel baseball's on my mind so much. I think I'm gonna have hot dogs for dinner tonight. I just I'm in a baseball mood. I want I want to I want to have that feeling. Uh, so yeah, look, it's it's very, very nutritious. Yes, yeah, very nutritious. I have a great diet. Let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> uh, anything else, uh, Cody? As uh, as we uh, jet out of here, I just wanted to shout out Alex Gray, who sent us a picture of his very heavily washed. Tigers Miguel Cabrera Stadium Cup. I think this is Miguel Cabrera. I don't know. You can't see <laughs> see his face. Uh, I think that is what what everyone should be drinking out of. Uh, although stadium drinks are overpriced, they don't cost as much as one of those Stanleys. Man, you can take that cup home and you you can get more use out of it than you can your forty five dollars Stanley. I am definitely a sucker because I'm always gonna get the pay the extra one twenty five or whatever for the stadium cup as opposed to like the large, you know. Like I, I just I just will. I just will. I'm a sucker. That's why they put it out there, is because people like me will do it every single time. Alright, uh you can follow Cody on X formerly known as Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley pod page at Turn Corner Pod, YouTube, Turn the Corner Podcast, Apple, Spotify, five star review if you feel so inclined. So, on a Friday, I want to wish everybody, from, Co- from Cody and myself, I want to wish everybody a great weekend.